What's happening, everybody? This is Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo. It is a fresh episode of Crossed Up. And Anthony, we are going to talk about, hmm, what can we talk about on a Phillies podcast here on February 18th? Hmm. I don't know, Bob. There's nothing, jeez, there's nothing, nothing to discuss about this team right now. We're going to talk why, why about... Are we even doing this? Bryce Harper, and we're going to talk a little less about Manny Machado, but little really, less. I think where we need to start isn't so much with Bryce Harper or Manny Machado uh, and whether or not they're going to be in Philadelphia. I think what we actually need to talk about uh, are the reports that surfaced yesterday, Sunday, by one John Heyman. Uh, I, I feel like he has become such an integral part of this story, and he in some ways has become really the main talking point of this saga as it's played out throughout the winter, and now here we are with spring training starting up, and and John Heyman is kind of front and center in this whole thing. So let's talk a little bit about John Heyman. I'm really interested to get your your thoughts on on the day that he had, specifically Sunday. Uh, He kind of, I think he woke up yesterday and said, you know, Today feels like a good day to get some some social media likes, to get some interactions, and to get some retweets. And man, uh, did he do it. So uh, around 11 o'clock Sunday morning, he says, Harper talks with Phillies appear to be intensifying, but no word on anything done. And to this point, it seems others are interested uh, and haven't been told they are out. That includes the Padres, Nats, Giants, Shy Sox, multiple mystery teams. That followed off of a uh, tweet in which he had just said basically that things were heating up. Uh, it looks like the Phillies are the, the clear favorite. And so these two tweets kind of, it was one, the, the first one was the Phillies are all in. They're the lead dog. It's going down. And then he follows up an hour, hour and a half later with, you know, there's, there's seven teams involved. And so everyone kind of said, Christ, here, here we go again. It looked like we were finally making progress, that this thing was finally starting to reach the finish line yesterday. And then, whoa, wait. Nope, not so fast. There's actually still six teams involved in this. Like, what are your thoughts to to those sequences of tweets? I mean, there were more to follow. We'll get yeah, well, that's the minute, thing. I, that's the, yeah. So it just kept. So here's what I don't understand: what John Heyman is trying to do now. The thing about John Heyman is here's a guy that has a huge online following, right? I mean. He's he's uh, works for MLB Network. Yeah, he's got over five hundred thousand followers. Five hundred and fifty-four thousand seven hundred and forty-seven up to the second followers, um, and 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 so like I don't necessarily know, you know, why someone like that would feel the need to drag people along on a an all-day saga. Normally, if you're that kind of insider. Um, your mentality should be, I'm putting this story out when I have something that's valuable to put out. Um, and, and really, I mean, look, if people, if you want to do like an, um, you know, you know, send your questions to me via Twitter and I'll answer them kind of thing and you get into this conversation and it, and it goes on all day long, that's a different kind of story, right? I mean, that's totally fine. It's totally conversational. I mean, that's what social media is meant for in, in, in a lot of ways. And so therefore, I, I can kind of get it if you're talking about it all day. But you don't have the first tweet tweet come out that you already read, okay? Um, actually, there was there was one in between, believe it or not, because um, there was the things are heating up with Harper. Um, then it's then there was uh, as things heat up, here Harper's talking to other teams beyond Philly. So it was it was an hour <laughs> apart. So the yeah. first one says things are heating up with Harper. Intensifies the word I heard. Phillies are the favorite, but word remains that nothing's done yet. Will be a long term deal. An hour later, as things heats up, Har- here Harper is talking to other teams beyond Philly, and Philly is still talking to both Harper and Machado. Feels like Philly Harper is the most likely match at this point though because that's an hour apart yeah and then he, he an comes hour back apart. At, he comes back at 2 30 so, with uh so what, what but wait before, but so here's i want to start with those two okay. so if you put the first tweet out okay things are heating up with harper intensifies what i heard phillies are the favorite okay someone has told you this okay and you assume john Heyman's well connected so someone involved whether it's someone in the phillies organization whether it's someone on harper's side you know whether it's it's scott boris whoever somebody has told him this how then do you within an hour suddenly hear harper's talking to other teams beyond philadelphia do you not check that out first before you put the first tweet out there that's what i don't understand like and it doesn't make any sense to me as a reporter 
You're not doing your job if you haven't checked in. Just because one side tells you something, you need to check in with the other side before you throw it out there. So, like, so do you think that he knows what he's doing when he sends these tweets out? Or is he kind of just getting this information and saying, like, listen, this is what I'm hearing, so I'm going to tweet it because people are interested in this story and so whatever? Or do you think that he goes, oh, here we go. Like, this is going to set the people off. I'm going to get a lot of retweets. I'm going to get a lot of likes. Everyone's going to be talking about me when I put this thing out there. Like, do you think he, he kind of almost does this with a half smile at uh, this point? I mean, he's well, got to know, right? So I want to make a comparison All right, now. I am not John Heyman, okay? Um, I am a local reporter. I am not a national reporter. So there is there is a big difference between the two of us. However, I will make this comparison. I joined Twitter in March of 2009, so it'll be 10 years, okay, uh, next month that I've been on Twitter. I've tweeted 19,070 times in 10 years, okay? John Heyman has been on Twitter one month less than me. He joined in April 2009. He has tweeted 80,980 times. Think about that for a second. Okay? Do the, I mean, seriously. Now, again, he's a national writer, so he writes. He talks about 30 baseball teams. I talk about predominantly one hockey team. Okay, fine. But the fact of the matter is, is that he's the number of tweets in that same time period is ridiculous. So what John Heyman is to me, as far as I can interpret it, is one of those reporters, and he's not alone, there are a lot of them, who just can't stop themselves from tweeting. That it's become an addiction over time. And that any little thing... I got to share this. I got to put this out the first as soon as I hear it. The first, and there are there's local reporters who do that. There are national reporters who do that. And to me, they are they don't under, quite understand the medium. Well, and do you think it could be a little bit self-serving in the sense that he says, okay, like uh, John Heyman, if if I'm not mistaken, I believe used to write for Sports Illustrated. I think that that's Correct. where he kind of yeah. became you know, during his rise to prominence in the national media. And then he was, I guess, you know, either let go or they, they downsized or whatever they decided to do over at Sports Illustrated. And then he was with FanCred. And I think I've read him on CBS Sports at some point. And now he's, you know, he's on MLB Network and he still writes here and there. But do you think that there's any part of him that says, you know, I, I want to keep my name out there. I need to get another, you know, big time landing spot, and so this is going to keep me part of the conversation. Well, I mean, he's on People ML. He's on, f- he's on MLB Network. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Do you need to be bigger than that? Yeah, and, and that's what I wonder, though. I mean, like, do you just think, like, to me, it just seems like I think he has to be aware of the fact, and it, yeah, maybe he is one of these guys that can't help himself. He almost has a, a Twitter addiction at this point, but. To me, I wonder, is it about trying to gain more, uh, I don't know, prominence to be part of the conversation where he makes himself more marketable as a writer or as a journalist? You know, like, is there any, like, do you, do you think, and I'll ask you this because, you know, you've been on Twitter a while and you've, you've worked for the Flyers and you've been a a prominent uh, local beat guy for the, for the Flyers in this city. I mean, do you still, when you fire off a tweet and it, it catches fire and it, it gets a bunch of retweets and likes. Does that do anything for you? Like you go, no. hey, look at Ant- hey, look at me. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo, and, and people care about what I have to say. No, it doesn't. It, the way I look at it is, it's my job. You know, right? I and just wonder if like John Heyman sees the big. sees the the like button going off and the notification button going maybe, off and going, maybe like, look at me, I'm John Heyman. I matter. maybe maybe he does. Maybe I mean I don't. I to me I look at it as it's my job. And when I tweet, I tweet something that now, obviously if there's a game going on, it's big. It's a different story, right? I mean during a game, Twitter, you know, c- commenting on Twitter is a whole different kind of thing. But John Heyman has tweeted 23 times in the last 24 hours. He's basically averaging a tweet an hour. And nothing has happened. <laughs> I mean, other than Mike Mustaka signing. Right, I think that yes. was the, right, the only thing, right? Yeah. Nothing has happened in baseball other than Mike Mustaka signing. And he's tweeted 23 times in 24 hours. There's no games. He's not at spring training talking to a team, doing something. There's nothing. And he's tweeted 23 times in the last 24 hours. That's insane. It's too much. I will tell you this, just in in general, I do think that younger writers, people that are trying to get their name out there, trying to be known, I think a lot of them do prioritize being seen on Twitter. And like, I'll tell you, you know, I've been writing for Crossing Broad for what, maybe about a year and a half now. And the last Philly season, 2018 season was the first season where I was kind of like 
tasked with, hey, you cover the Phillies for the site. And I've gained some Twitter followers over that time. Like, I think I have, like, I don't know, not, not nearly as many as you, but, like, I have, like, 2,300 followers, okay? Right. And every now and then I'll send out a tweet, and it'll get a couple likes or it'll get a couple uh, retweets, whatever. But then I'll send out some tweets occasionally, and they end up with a couple hundred likes and, you know, to the point where there's a – dozens and dozens of retweets and I still kind of look at it and go like hey look at that like people are people are interested in what I'm saying and like I don't I don't like love myself for it and I don't pat myself on the back for it but I think I'm still new enough and I'm still trying to establish myself personally where yeah like sometimes when I fire off a good tweet and it gets read and, and people retweet it I go yo cool you know, yeah. Well, well, it should it should be it should be something in in that retu- in that regard, Bob. It should be something where you sit there and say, okay, look, people are paying attention, people are are liking what I'm having to say. So therefore, I need to make sure that as I do continue to do this job, that I do it to the best of my ability, and that I do it in a way that serves the public, right? I mean, because in a lot of ways. What we do, and it's it's a very old school journalistic mentality. But I mean, you you really are are serving as a um, a bit of a um, conduit or liaison for the everyday fan because you have a little bit more you know insight than maybe the everyday fan does. Um, granted, it's not the same. I mean, yeah, okay, we're we're working on we're still working. Kyle, are you listening? We're working on credentials for Bob at the Phillies game. Um, but uh, so we're working on getting it to be even more of that kind of conduit. Um, but at the same time, I mean, that's so people come to our website and come well, and to I'll say this, and, Twitter and I, to I see what we have of, to say. Yeah, you we know. kind of danced around it, you know, last year, but I, I'm a high school baseball coach and like that's kind of where my my background comes into play. Like I am familiar with the game, like I am tasked with developing high school baseball players, some of which now play in college. And, and so that's kind of where my my perspective of the game comes from. And so yeah, like I'm not just some guy in my mom's basement who likes baseball who blogs for Crossing Broad. Like that that's where right. I'm getting my my area of expertise. Not to say that I'm some, you know, savant, you know, hitting coach or pitching coach or anything of that nature, but you know, that's that's my background and that's where my perspective kind of comes into play. And I don't generally share that in stories because I don't know that it necessarily equates all the time. But yeah, like I have a little bit of a baseball background. No, I'm not credentialed or I was not credentialed last season and I'm not in the locker room and I'm not going to break trade news or free agent signings. That's not what we're doing. But typically my in-game observations, I think, are probably the most beneficial thing that I bring, you know, or the, the, the strongest thing that I bring with my background. So that's what that's, I guess, what I'm trying to bring to the table. And that's where we're at currently. And I hope Kyle is listening. Um <laughs> But I, I guess let's just hop back into this, and and I just want to kind of take you through the rest of Heyman's day as it pertains to the uh, Phillies. Like you keep said, going because it, it was crazy. Some Mike Mustakas tweets, and that's all fine and well. But he then kind of chimes in about uh, Manny Machado and how you know he's still going to go to one of the highest two bidders, talking about his preferences and, and whatever. But let's just kind of focus on Harper here. He comes back, and uh, this one was at 4:57 p.m. As things intensify, Bryce Harper has multiple long-term offers for more than 30 million dollars a year. Philly is viewed as the favorite as said here but is also said uh to be an evolving market and then he comes back at let's see what time was this a couple hours later 6 36 p.m while the phillies have made progress and are seen as the favorite for harper especially with the self-proclaimed stupid money and like can we can we just move on from that at this point like please with the stupid <laughs> money several teams are said to still be involved including both the giants and padres and then you know, he finishes up the night at 8.43 p.m. with one interesting dynamic to the Harper Machado market. Three prime teams have shown interest in both stars, the Phillies, Padres, and White Sox. Phillies have been confident they'll land one of the stars, but at least one of these teams will be shut out. Like, great, yes, thank you. There are three teams in play. There are two players. One of these teams will not get one of these players. Thanks for the math lesson, John. So it started out at the beginning of the day that this thing was coming around third base and they're about to reach home. The Phillies are in the lead. It's going down. Wait a minute, there's a handful of teams. Oh, wait, it's an evolving market. And oh, by the way, the Phillies and two other teams are really interested in both players, and nobody knows how the hell this thing's going to shake out. So we're right back to where we started from when you woke up this morning. And thank you for that, John Heyman. I hope you enjoyed your 
1,000 retweets across your stupid waste of time tweets and the just it, – <laughs> it's just so – it's so frustrating, man. <laughs> you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right. It, it is it is ridiculous and frustrating. This is why, you know – and look, we live in a, in a society now that, that craves this information, okay? I can't tell you how many times fans will tweet me – Got any trade rumors? What are you hearing? And it's like, no, it doesn't work that way. It's like, right. like, like it's a, I'm not sitting there constantly on my phone messaging people that I know in the industry or in the for the organization or a scout or a uh, or an agent, you know, and and asking people, hey, what are you hearing? Hey, what do you got? You know, but, but like, it's not it's not how it works. It comes to us, right? Now, granted, again, John Heyman's job is a little bit different than mine. Um, his job is to, you know, be reporting these kinds of things. But the, what I'm trying to say is fans eat this stuff up. They yeah, eat and, it up. And I'm glad you're bringing this up. And I, I kind of let's, – let's call it what it is here. This is good for us. This is good for Crossing Broad. I mean, there have been plenty of times where I have taken a John Heyman or a Bob Nightingale tweet, used it as the centerpiece to – try to build some type of, of story around it. And, I, you know, I try to give a little bit more than just, here's this tweet. You can obviously read it. Like, I'm having fun with it. Like, I'm, I'm making jokes and I'm talking about, you know, giving up candy. Like, uh, Jack Fritz at WIP mm-hmm. has his little Harper Lent thing going on. I think that that's funny, personally. Like, I, I kind of I did a post on that. Like, I've had fun with this, and it's been good for our traffic, too. Anytime that we put Manny Machado or Bryce Harper in the title of one of our stories, it's getting tons of shares on Facebook. It's getting tons of likes on Twitter. And so, like, I'm not going to sit here and act like that John Heyman is the only person benefiting from the Bryce Harper no news or some sort of news progressive updates throughout the winter. Like we've been very, very successful writing these types of stories at the same time. I see a lot of fans commenting on these stories now saying like, well, I don't even care at this point. They're both selfish. I don't want them. And my response to that is that's ridiculous because you're talking about the potential difference of being an 86 win team that may or may not make the wild card or possibly win the division versus being a legitimate contender in the national league. Like don't tell me that you don't care about the Philly signing Bryce Harper. And I mean, it's flat out bullshit because the people that are saying this stuff, if, and when he signs, they're going to be through the roof. They're going to be absolutely to the moon over this. So that's all crap. No, yeah, you're right. I mean, they they really are, and you know, there's going to be the funny thing is, is it, you know, this is the really the the first time, and I'm, I've been trying to think about this because I I can't think of one where there was a player who is a star player for a rival team who then, while in their prime, came to Philadelphia. So it's a player that like you hated, 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 and then while they're still in their prime, came here to play and be a star player while you, they're for, in Philadelphia. Like the only other one I could think of, and again, this is me, Mister Hockey, but it was like when Yager came here, but he was towards the end of his career. It was only for one season, and the fans who who you know they were on his case every time he played, he skated on the ice for the Penguins uh, or the Rangers or the Capitals or whoever he was playing for. They booed the hell out of him, and then all of a sudden he was on the Flyers. Now it's like, oh my God, we have to cheer for this guy. Um, this this may be the very first time where you had that player who was a star somewhere else and hated, and now they're going to be on your side. And that's this. So it's I think really we going thought to be a this test. was Demarco Murray. <laughs> you know, it yeah. turns out that he wasn't a star player, and he was certainly on the downside of his career. But I think we thought this was Demarco Murray a few years ago. But maybe, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I would imagine it would be the equivalent of a guy like Sidney Crosby being signed by the Flyers. Yeah. The, the only difference is, and I think the only reason why Bryce Harper wasn't maybe hated as much is just because the Phillies have sort of been irrelevant since he's reached the major leagues. You know, yeah. minus maybe the, his rookie year, you know, his his rise to stardom has kind of coincided with the Phillies being largely irrelevant. So you say, I hate Bryce Harper and his stupid beard and stupid hair. The Phillies have 71 wins. You know, that's the yeah. only reason why I think that Bryce Harper wasn't really hated in this city. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, but, you know, he how many times did he kill the Phillies, too? Right? Oh, he I mean, absolutely murdered you them. Think I mean, I think of those walk off those walk off home runs, runs yeah. right? Yeah, so Absolutely. so that's what I'm saying. So that's what makes him. That's what makes him unliked, you know. And and like I, you know, we've talked about this. Like I, you know, my 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 son is a huge baseball guy. 
he doesn't like Bryce Harper. Like he can't stay. Like he's having this conniption right now that it's looking like Harper would come to Philadelphia, and he's got to get over himself because Harper. Would what make is it this that he doesn't better. like about him? That's he interesting. doesn't like his. He doesn't like his attitude. He doesn't think he's a winner. He doesn't. You know, he's like yeah, he's a very he. He's a very. Um, he thinks he's a me first kind of guy. He doesn't think he's a team oriented. I mean, he, he probably uh, he probably is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that that's probably a fair assessment. Yeah. I, I'm willing to get over that if it happens to sure. also bring 40 home runs uh, out of the I, right fielder. You know, I, I mean, I agree, I agree. But he's like, you know, and, and Anthony says all the time, he's like that. He says, you know, look, look at what he's done. Um, you know, in the last couple of seasons, I mean, he's either injured or when he's not injured, he's he's struggled and struggled for a long period of time. Then he gets hot, and then you know his, his numbers end up being decent at the end. But he's he's a very streaky player, and I don't necessarily. He says Machado would do this lineup a lot better, and he's not he's not necessarily wrong. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it's also I think fueled by the fact that he just doesn't like the like the guy. Well, so, it's, it's interesting, and, and he's not alone. He's I, there's gonna be a I, lot. Yeah, of he's fans not alone, like that. and actually, I think there are a couple guys on the Washington Nationals currently that aren't uh, huge fans of Bryce Harper. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if you that? saw the story yeah. by Dan Steinberg, uh, who writes for the Washington Post. Uh, he's a sports writer there. Um, he. Uh, and I guess actually it was Steinberg and Thomas Boswell, who's a columnist for the Washington Post. And a good author, by the way. He's been yeah. writing there for years and years and years. He uh, Steinberg tweeted out a, a story by Boswell. That's how it caught my attention. And in the story, basically, it's about how the Nationals are still going to be a contender this year, which I totally agree with. When you look at yep. the pitching between Strasburg, Scherzer, uh, and then Corbin, obviously, th- those are three starting pitchers that, that have a chance to just give teams fits. Um, they sort of... Uh, they certainly underachieved a year ago, and I think that a lot of the thought here is that when you have this pitching, improved defense with the Nationals, and still certainly a pretty quality lineup, I think the Nationals have a chance to be a really good team. And within the story, though, it was basically this idea that Bryce Harper was sort of, I don't know, he got preferential treatment maybe. Uh, and, and so this was the interesting part of it, I thought, and it says, though few mention it, Subtracting Harper, while it will cost 34 homers, an 899 career OPS, and some amazing hair flips, would help any team improve its attention to fundamentals. When the most famous player on the team can't go 10 days without failing to run out a ground ball or overthrowing a cutoff man by 15 feet or throwing to the wrong base or being caught unprepared in the outfield or on the bases, it's hard to demand total alertness from the other 24. And then here's the, the payoff line. Write it. One prominent Nats vet said, "What are what's your reaction to that?" Max Scherzer has a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> you got Max Scherzer saying that. Nah, I, mean, I don't know. Guy, I huh? Who's your prom? Who are the, who are prominent Nats vets? Yeah, I mean, I. I, I mean, when you look at that team, a guy like Scherzer. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's going to be Anthony Rendon. I mean, really. I mean, who's the prominent Nats vet? Prominent is the word, you know, that that really sticks out to me because I don't. They don't have any other prominent. Vets. They have a lot of good players and a really nice lineup, but I don't know if they have prominent vet other than Scherzer. Um, uh, again, you know, we've seen it. You know, he had the look. Everybody, everybody ridiculed Papelbon right for getting into the fight with him a, f- a few years back, and Papelbon was a jerk. We know that. We saw we saw his routine here in Philadelphia. It didn't it didn't last. Um, but maybe in that instance, maybe it wasn't Papelbon that was the problem. Maybe in that instance, it was Harper. Who knows? I mean, we we weren't there. We don't know. But it's it's fair to question that and say maybe he's not a good locker room guy. Yeah, I don't know. And when that incident happened, that was what three, two, three years ago now. So you're talking about a kid that was 23, 24 years old. Like I just I have a hard time and look look at me now defending Bryce Harper. I have a hard yeah. time you know killing a a kid that's. I- you know, been able to. Dr- I don't know that he does drink, but he would only have been able to drink for two or three years at that point. I mean, that's a right. young person to, to pin that type of blame on in that situation. No, and, and you're not you're not wrong. Um, but at the same time, he's also been, um, you know, a kid who, I guess, f- has always felt entitled in this sport because he's been talked about since he was so young and that he was going to be the next generational superstar in baseball and uh, and everything else. And so he's kind of been spoon-fed that uh, at every level, everywhere he's always been from high school on out. And so maybe once you get to the, you know, to the big show and and you're a brash young player and a veteran guy's like, "Whoa, 
slow slow your roll, kid. You know, yeah, like well, and there's there are two <laughs> other points in that Boswell story which that I I thought were interesting, and one was really from about Mike Rizzo and how he treated Harper, and there might have been a little bit of resentment from some players in the organization that felt like Harper kind of got away with some stuff or maybe wasn't held as accountable as other guys were. But one of the the key ideas in that was that Rizzo really likes Harper, thinks he's a, a good guy. And so, like, there is something to be said for that. I don't know that, you know, perhaps maybe he is a prima donna or, you know, he does feel a little bit entitled, but I don't think we're dealing with a, a bad guy here either. No, no, um, you're not. I, you're not at all. And I, I will make a, a – here, I'm going to make another hockey comparison for you. But, like, for example, like Sid – now, the difference between Sid and, and, and Sidney Crosby and, and Bryce Harper is the fact that Sidney Crosby's actually won three championships, whereas Harper's not even won a playoff series yet. Um, but when you go back to when Sidney Crosby, who was a generational player, came into the league, he was um, he was very, very whiny. He was a dirty little player. Nobody liked him. He, you know, I mean, really, and it wasn't just, it wasn't just, you know, Philadelphia. I mean, there was this... He had this reputation around the league, you know, of, of just being a kid that just didn't quite get it. And, you know, he didn't like being questioned. Um, he didn't like doing interviews, nothing. I mean, he was just a a very difficult, young, elite superstar who had had a lot of flaws to his personality. Look at him now at age 31, and he's a, a completely different person. Completely different person, completely different player, um, and it's still one of the best players in the game, if not the best. I mean, you can argue, you know, him or one or one or two other guys, but I mean, as you get older, you certainly change. Now, Bryce Harper could have been brash, young, you know, elitist kind of player from ages twenty to twenty-five, and now that he's going to be, you know, he's twenty-six and he's getting older, you're going to see a different version of Bryce, maybe than you did. In those few years, and so what you're, what Tom Boswell's writing might have been the case when he was, you know, being coddled as a very young player. But you know, as time goes on and and Harper becomes his own man, it could probably, you know, that probably wears off a little bit. I don't, I can't think of very many again professional athletes in any sport who maintained that, you know, that kind of young personality, immature personality beyond their young years other than the only one I can think of as local is Allen Iverson. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah right. I mean, that's, yeah. that's like the only one I can think of who, who never quite matured. Like he's still, even now, even today, he's my age, he's 45. Even today, he's still a little immature. Right. I mean, so, um, so those things, that's like the only thing that I think, um, the other thing about Harper that kind of... Yeah, that, that maybe doesn't work for me in the story. Yeah, the, the kind of thing that fascinates me, though, and it comes up in the story, is that he played 63 games in center field last season, and that's out of position. He's not a center fielder, and it said that he was team-spirited enough to do so, and so apparently, you know, he willingly went to center field, and he wasn't good there, and we talked a lot last season about defensive runs saved, and it's a flawed metric, but just so we can throw this out there, he had a negative 10 defensive run saved in 63 games in center field last year, which is really bad, especially when you consider how many games he played 63 not a ton I mean that's almost a third of the season so to, to have that type of rating out there is not very good but when he was in right field where he's supposed to be more comfortable uh, he was even worse negative 16 defensive runs saved so there's no doubt about it. His defense in 2018 was a mess. And yeah. I don't know what you can specifically attribute that to. I don't know if it's because he had a flip back and forth between the two positions. I don't know if it was the, the, the contract. He certainly did struggle offensively in the first half of last season. He finished very strong, but did his offensive struggles carry over into his defense? You know, was the, the way that the situation was playing out with the free agency deal on his mind? Like, I don't know. When you look at the rest of his defensive ratings, at least just in terms of of defensive runs saved over the years. His his first year with the Nationals in 2012, it was actually a positive. It was plus 14. It dropped to four the next year. It was a wash in 14-0. 2015 plus nine. 2016 negative three. 2017 plus four. So like he's been basically just hovering around a, a little above average, a little below average, and then last year was a mess, and it kind of uh, it added up to negative 26 defensive runs saved. So the Phillies are prioritizing defense this year, this offseason. That's something that we've certainly seen be the case. There has to be at least a little bit of concern about Bryce Harper's defense, but it was just so 
it was a complete anomaly. I mean, he, he may not be a terrific defender, but whatever was going on last year doesn't seem to necessarily be what he is. I mean, his defense couldn't have fallen off a cliff at age 26 because of a physical attribute. There's just no yeah. way. No, I mean, you're, you're 100% correct on that. Um, the one thing that could be interesting, though, is, you know, if you're the Phillies, do you think about putting Bryce in left field and let McCutcheon play right field? I mean, maybe. We talked earlier when they signed Andrew McCutcheon about how he played uh, right field in San Francisco at times and, and held his the, own and, and yeah, all that. And the hardest right field in, in baseball, park-wise. Yeah, I mean, maybe he does play a little left field. I could see that. I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I think that that's one of those things. It's Again, it's like across the bridge when you get to it type of situation. You would think that McCutcheon at this point would be the – Better outfielder? Would you agree with that? Do you would you expect him to be the better defensive Defensively? outfielder? Yeah, yeah, I do, I do. So, if you're, I mean, you're, you're not you're not you're not signing Bryce Harper because you you want his glove, <laughs> right? No, certainly not. No. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it's it's more. Yeah, I mean, I think McCutcheon's probably. I mean, and there, I don't think there, there, there's a big disparity between the two. I mean, McCutcheon's a little bit older. You know, maybe maybe um, you know he doesn't have Harper's arm. Harper still has a really good arm, right? I mean, that's that's probably the one thing that. Even last year, um, I don't know. Do you, you have his stats up? Did he have outfield assists last year? I mean, he's he's always had a strong arm, Harper. Um, so I mean, that's the that's the one thing. I, he probably is a little bit better than McCutcheon on that. He's got a better hose, but um, yeah, I think that I think that ultimately, he actually, uh, he did not have an outfield assist last really? year. Really? So in uh, 2015, if I'm reading this right, um, in 2015 he had eight. In 2016, he had five, and in 2017, he had eight. But then last year, he didn't. That's crazy. And yeah. I wonder if that had a lot to do with playing 63 games in center field. Because yeah. you don't usually get as many in center field, right? Their left field, right field is where you get yeah, left uh, fielders and right fielders get the outfield assists. Very interesting. Actually, uh, yeah, let's see here. I might have been doing that by position. But, yeah, no, he only had, he had one. Yeah, he had one last year. He did have one. Yeah, he had one. It was uh, it was in center field too. <laughs> really? So how about uh, that? yeah. So how about it? Yeah. There so it is. I, I don't know. I mean, that that would be one thing that I'm I'm interested to see if the Phillies have a theory about that. You know, like if you go back and look at his play a year ago, was it just a lack of focus or? And, and one thing I will say, I, I would have a little bit of a concern with is that the guy who is currently projected to be the team's starting center fielder, uh, which I still don't think is a lock uh, in Odubel Herrera, you know, he's apparently come in, he's in good shape. He admitted that he wasn't focused at times last year. I, I don't really understand why that was the case, but okay. Um, you know, if, if there was a little bit of an accountability issue in in Washington, I wonder with this current manager, with Gabe Kapler, I think that there were some accountability issues in the locker room for the Phillies last year. Does mm-hmm. does a guy like Harper show up in Philly with that type of contract especially and just sort of have all of the control, all of the power? Does that neuter Gabe Kapler? Um, and do players kind of look at that and go like, okay, Gabe, let's see you handle this one. You know, like, are you going to get on Odubel well, and be a hard-ass with Odubel Herrera this year when you got Bryce Harper doing these types of things? Like, you know, I, I, wonder, I wonder how, and this is one of the things I've been thinking about with Gabe, is and it, whether Harper or Machado come here or not, this team, even though they're young, is certainly a lot different team than it was last year. And, you know, how, how is Gabe going to handle that clubhouse with as many you know bigger personalities bigger name players you know, more veteran even though that they're still under the age of 27 most of these guys um but how how do you handle that like you know yes mccutcheon's been around for a while but you know segura segura is a little bit of a you know yeah. he's been to what five different teams and you know got into a fight with d gordon who's perhaps the night you know one of the nicest guys in baseball last year and um uh, so you know, how do you manage that personality? How do you manage Real Muto, right? I mean, who's seems like a, a quality guy, um, but nevertheless, I mean, you know, this is a this is can, a lot of people say he's the best catcher in baseball, and so you know, are you going to get on Real Muto if he struggles for 
you know, a week, like, or is not doing something right. Who knows? I mean, are you going to get on these guys? Yeah, how about Andrew McCutcheon, right? McCutcheon, I mean, he's probably right. one of the most respected players in the game. And I, I will say this, if the Phillies, and I think that this is kind of a common sentiment, I don't think that this is my own thesis here, but if the Phillies get off to a, a bad start, especially if they go out and they acquire Machado or Harper, and you got guys, I, I think it'll be very clear early on, you know, you get within the first 45 games, if Andrew McCutcheon's, like, looking at Matt Klentak taking BP one day and going, like, yo, Matt, like, what the hell is this yeah uh, and this team gets off to a bad start you know they're playing sub 500 baseball into may or you know into late may i don't know that gabe kapler is here to finish the deal you know i i kind of of given gabe the benefit of the doubt i think the people that listen to this podcast know that i'm probably more pro gabe kapler than i am against him but I, I will say i do think that there's a short leash here and if the phillies don't play well to start with all of the acquisitions that they've made and the expectations that they now have I don't know that this city really likes Gabe Kapler anyway. I don't think that they've really embraced him. The Phillies would not be in a – I don't think it would be a hard decision for the Phillies to make, to be quite honest with you. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and, and, it's, and I think it's going to be interesting too when you look at this – when you look at the outfield. Again, let's say you bring in Harper, you know, um, and, and how Gabe wants to use certain guys. I mean, you know, there were, I've kind of felt like that first press conference there was a little bit – they were laughing about it, but it was kind of interesting when you hear McCutcheon say, I like to play every day, and then you hear Kapler say things like, well, you know, we'll, we'll find him the rest when he needs it. And, you know, you go back and look at McCutcheon's career, and he's, what, missed 60 games in nine years? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, and like, I, you know, I'm it's, very it's, interested it, to see how that plays out, though, right? Like, yeah. are there trades that, that kind of – are there trades that could still happen? And, and this is what I've been thinking about. And maybe it doesn't happen before opening day, but, you know, you're going to have Aaron Altair, who, I mean, like, I, I, I'm not an Aaron Altair guy. No, I think neither am I. We've seen what Aaron Altair kind of is. I don't think he's as bad as he was last year. I think it was just kind of a, a nightmare season for him. But yeah. I'm not, like, trying to find playing time for Aaron Altair necessarily. Same thing with Nick Williams. I think that Nick Williams, if, is, as a fourth outfielder, is, is great, actually. I think that that would be a phenomenal spot for him um and, and you know guys get hurt too so I'm sure that these guys will still get at bats but a guy like Roman Quinn who I really like again you don't know how healthy he's going to be because that's always the question with Roman Quinn but there are too many guys out there at this point so they're going to have to make a decision with someone right and I would expect somebody to be traded and I guess that Altair or Williams would be the most likely of the two uh, maybe if there was a, the, the right deal for Herrera who I think still has some value when you consider his contract and recent past production I think that there are potential suitors for a guy like him as well but it's going to be very interesting to see how Gabe Kapler um you know I guess, delegates playing time in the event that they sign Harper. Now, of course, if they don't sign him, then, then none of this really matters. And then the, sh yeah. the, the focus shifts to the infield. If it's Machado, how well, are they I mean, going to do that? Let's just – I'm going to – I'm gonna. we didn't even discuss that we were going to talk about this, but just now that you're talking about it, let's, let's throw this out there. So let's say they sign Harper, okay? So Harper's an everyday outfielder along with McCutcheon, okay, for sure, and probably Herrera. But, you know, anything could still happen trade-wise. Who, who, who's the depth on this team? Like, who's the bench on this team right now? Because you assume that they're only going to carry 13, right? I mean, I can't, I can't imagine. They would, maybe 12. Yeah. Right. Who who's the bench for well, this team right now? Uh, I, I guess Scott Kingery's on the bench, right? Right. Kingery's uh, your super utility guy, right? Can play all three infield positions. Um, is I guess is Andrew Knapp going to be the backup and, catcher? Is I that... guess Andrew Knapp, which blows my mind. I they couldn't find somebody better than him to be the backup catcher. But okay, okay. Go ahead. Uh, Roman Quinn has to be on the team. That's three. And then I, I guess Nick, Nick, Nick Williams. this is if they sign Harper. Is that what? The, yeah, if they okay. si if they sign Harper. Well, so then yeah, I mean uh, Nick Williams, uh, Aaron Altair. I guess you would have three. Are you going to carry six outfielders? That's the thing. I mean, that's yeah, a lot. That is a lot. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. I'm not. Uh, it's a it's a good question. And like who who's playing who's playing first base if Hoskins needs a day? Real Muto. And, and yeah, I guess. Harper, maybe, <laughs> maybe, right? I mean, like, so that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I almost think that they need another infielder and not the extra outfielder. Yeah, I mean, like, I like, could definitely see a situation though in which they, they bring him here and then they flip one of these guys for more of a, a utility infielder piece. I think that that's a, a reasonable expectation. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and and then the Phillies always do. You always look at what teams do when they bring. Um, uh, 
what do you call it? Um, minor league free agents in, you know, invite them to camp, those kinds of players. Like you, you always wonder if somebody in that list has an opportunity to, you know, make the team somewhere. Right. Like a, like Sean Rod- like a Sean Rodriguez for example. Sure. Who's yeah. A, he, who's he was with uh, Pittsburgh, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And they they signed him, brought him in. He's a minor as they get minor league contract invitation to spring training. Um, you know, is he a guy that has a chance to make that get that twenty fifth roster spot because he can play first base, second base, outfield? Is well, Phil Gosselin is Phil Gosselin a guy that can do that? You know, Malvern Prep product who's signed to you know non roster. Get that Malvern Prep shout out. Yeah. I didn't go to Malvern. I know. That's it's a, Kyle. Went that's to, Kyle, Kyle went country, Malvern. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I'm so St. Joe's prep. You're a St. Joe's prep guy. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I think we said a couple weeks ago that one of the things, or maybe the thing about signing Harper and Machado is that you just don't know what the team's going to look like, right? Like we had talked about how it wasn't even really worth getting into the 2019 Phillies and what the lineup's going to look like because we didn't know what the team would look like on opening day, and we still don't. There's still so much that needs to be decided. But when we had that conversation, that was before JT Real Muto was the Phillies catcher. So I think the same principle applies. It's really hard to start getting into your roster predictions or projections at this point because you just don't know what the overall makeup of the team is going to be because literally its most important piece may not be here yet. So it's, True. it's still so difficult, and I, I want to be able to do that. Like I want to be able to start having these baseball conversations when we can say this is what the bench is going to look like, and these are the strengths of this bench. And one thing that you have to consider about this team is that they're going to be able to do this, and they're going to, you know, they're going to present this matchup problem. And we still can't really do that yet because the difference between Manny Machado and Bryce Harper is significant, and certainly the difference between having one of those guys and neither of those guys is huge. So it's just really hard to get a sense of what we're talking about yet, but man, do I want to get there. Like, yes, it's frustrating to watch these tweets and and follow this saga as it plays out, but the baseball guy in me just kind of wants to know, what are we looking at here? Like, what do we have in front of us? Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 certainly it's certainly interesting. One um, more thing, I wanted to ask you just about the Phillies, real quick, and this is something yeah. I tweeted out the other day, and you know, this is kind of like the coach in me going through what the Phillies are dealing with right now. They're very quick to point out in press conferences that, you know, we like the team that we have here. We have confidence in the guys that are in camp, and and I don't necessarily think that that's disingenuous. I think that they may truly feel that way, but. Do you think that the Phillies have a little bit of a a balancing act that they need to do with saying, hey guys, you know, if this is what we're moving forward with, you're a group of professionals that we feel can compete this season, and that's why we brought you here, versus also saying, like, yeah, also at the same time, like, we are about, we're actively trying to dump $300 plus million into another player's lap because we think it'll make us better, like, do you think that the Phillies have to be mindful and be aware of the fact that, like, if their attention continues to be elsewhere, like, that's where the fans obviously are at, that that could have an adverse impact on the guys that are currently here? Like, is that a consideration that they need to, to make? So here's the only, the only way I can foresee an adverse impact, right, is that the public pressure becomes so thick that it becomes all that we talk about and all these players have to hear about for the rest of spring training and the beginning of the season that they get off to a slow start. That's the only way I think it could really have an impact on the players. I certainly think it can impact the franchise from a from a public relations standpoint because the Phillies they 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 you know set their their own bar probably you know well they set it really high and and you know up till now They've done a nice job in the offseason, but they haven't quite reached their bar because of how high they set set it for themselves. And so if you don't land Bryce Harper, you don't land Manny Machado, and you go into the season with what you have right now or maybe you know one or two other small additions to help the bench or the bullpen or, or whatever, um, while the team is improved from an 80-win team from last year, there's no question about it. The lineup already is better. You, you didn't do what you kind of said you were going to do. And so I think that could have a negative impact publicly. And I think that that you know you're you're not going to get as many people coming down to the games. Um you're, you're not going to you know you're going to get some some backlash when you know every loss is going to be blamed on the manager. Uh every <laughs> you know like well gee they would this team would have been better if Bryce Harper were here or if Manny Machado were here. You're going to hear it for a long time. 
Um, and and that could have again that that kind of public pressure unintentionally could could you know make players a little less loose, a little tighter, you know, squeezing the bat a little harder as they try to swing or whatever the case might be, trying to be a little bit too fine throwing a pitch. Um, so it could it could have minimal effect, and that could then you know you hope it doesn't um, become a snowball that rolls downhill, but it it, it could. Um, I, I don't think it does. I think it has more of an adverse effect on perception, uh, public perception, than it does on the actual guys in the clubhouse. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Um, before we get out of here, uh, I think we wanted to just touch on uh, sort of the state of Major League Baseball. Um, you you want to talk a little bit about what we're looking at here in 2021 and what's going on with the it's, game it's and cr- free agency cr- in general? So, I mean, I, you know, last year was, you know, it happened and it's happened again this year where there are so many guys who are still free agents as spring training opens up. I mean, here we are February, recording on February 18th, and um, – there are a lot of really big names still unsigned, including Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, um, but not just the, not just them alone. I mean, we're talking Dallas Keuchel. You're talking Craig Kimbrell. I mean, there's a lot of big names that are still not signed. And a lot of players have come out um, and criticized this and said that this isn't fair to the players, that um, that this is like almost like a, you know, a slowdown by the ownership to, to really kind of, um, you know, control spending and and not have the players make as much money as they deserve um and then yet last week um andy mcphail holds a state of the phillies press conference which i thought was kind of an odd time to do it i mean i know it's the start of spring training but geez you would think you would wait until your roster set before you have him come out and speak and and he really dictated the conversation um and it was just kind of a nothing burger um of a, of a press conference however he does say well guys don't you know that last season between february 15th and the start of the season there were 35 players who signed contracts in major league baseball worth 500 and some million dollars so they're sending so there's that spin right and that's the spin that that i'm sure almost any other uh of the major league baseball teams executives yeah, you, just, you point right to jd well, martinez a spin yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so basically, what you have here is you have two very clear sides that are in opposition of one another, opinion-wise, the players and the and the owners and well, or organizations, the, the management, um, and they're both saying completely opposite things of one another. And we're three years out from uh, a new contract for a new collective bargaining agreement between these two between these two. And the thing of it is, is that I think we are setting up for what will be an ugly labor situation following the 2021 season. Now, you see it's happened in pro, it happens in pro sports all the time. The union hates the hates the league, the league hates the union, they all fight. We've had strikes, we've had canceled seasons. I mean, we've we've seen it all, okay? Um in the last 25 30 years in professional sports. Um but I think that this is especially worrisome for baseball. Because it's it's really I, – I don't remember the players being this angry in 94. I mean, they were angry, and obviously it canceled the half of a season and the start of the 95 season as well. Um, but it, they, I, didn't, I don't remember the players being as angry as they are now. Maybe that I'm just not remembering. But the players are really, really pissed off. And I think that that's going to bring us to an ugly uh, head for, for this thing. And it concerns me as someone for you know if you're a Phillies fan, this you're talking about a team who's going to be really hitting their stride as being a contender for a championship. You hope at the, 2021 into 2022, and how will that adversely affect them, especially if there are major changes coming to the sport following that? Yeah, so they're they're going to get three cracks at it, right? We know that they're going to get nineteen, twenty, and, and one of them. One of them then, is one of them is this year. Yeah, and then you really don't know what's going to happen after that. Um, it, to me, I, I think that the game has, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll kind of just keep it general from my viewpoint. The game has significant issues at this point, and it they extend well beyond free agency. The way that the free agency period has been. Um, 
you know, has been playing out over the last couple off seasons. The the value of the franchises continue to grow, but the value of the contracts are not. I, I do, to an extent, understand player frustration. Uh, I don't think it's good for the sport in terms of the news cycle. You look at the NFL signing period, and obviously the signings happen throughout the summer, and, and it takes a while for some of that player movement to happen. But you you have your big, you know, first week of signings, and it's really good for the sport. It's good for fan interest. And from an interest standpoint, it's not good. It's it, it's not good from a, a, a team marketing standpoint because you don't know who the hell is going to be on your team. It's hard to market a team that way. Um, it's certainly not good for the players not knowing what's going to happen to them as spring training starts up. So that's a mess. And then you have the fact that the games take too long, that the interest in baseball has declined. I mean, there are so many problems with so many possible solutions across the board. But I think what you're seeing and, and why you say that 94 felt a little different even though it cost half the 94 season, there was no World Series, and then they got you know a late start in 95, is that it just feels like baseball is a mess, both financially and with the on-field product. And I don't necessarily think that there was much of a, a backlash about the on-field product in 94. And I think that that's a big difference. It just feels like the whole thing is uncertain and up in the air. And when you're talking about pitch clocks and fundamental rule changes and the possible implementation of the DH, there's just so much that baseball has to figure out. And I doubt its ability to get much of it figured out before they go to a labor you know, to a work stoppage. And I think that that's the issue. And it's going to be so interesting to see what happens to the dynamics, at least financially, of baseball and how the game's played when you resume in 2022. And I know that a lot of these changes could happen prior to a, you know, yeah. work stoppage. I think that the DH could happen as soon as the 2020 season. Um, but they're just, there's so much uncertainty. It just seems like baseball, for the lack of a a better term seems like a clusterfuck right now, and I think that that's the concern about it. Yeah, no, and, and you're you're 100 percent correct with that, and I, I think that they're trying to change too much. I think that they, I think that the sport will would be better if they just let it let it be itself. There, there's a school of thought out there that the baseball's biggest problem is that the people who cover the game insist upon the fact that baseball has a problem. Like, that right. that is perpetuating the the yeah. issues yeah. and that that's been the primary culprit of the negative perception of the game. I mean, I believe that maybe a little bit, but I, I will say, I think as someone that loves baseball as much as I do, I mean, I'll just take myself for example. I love baseball. But if the Braves and, uh, you know, I'll use even division contenders. If the Braves and Nationals are playing Sunday night baseball, like, I'm not, that's not appointment television for me. Like, if I'm home, maybe I'll put that game on and I'll watch it kind of loosely. But, like, that's not something like, yo, Braves, Nats tonight. Like, I got to get home. Uh, you know, it's going to be Scherzer versus Ozzie Albies and Ronald Acuna. Like, I don't. Yeah, but you know, you know why, you though, don't do Bob? that in baseball. But, yeah, you know why, though? And again, and this we have we have allowed. I, I shouldn't say allowed, but the the sport the sports that have really perpetuated America, right? Football and basketball primarily. Um, they've learned to market themselves in a way so that specific games, regular season games, mean that much more. Now, football more so because it's only sixteen games, so every game is so damn important. The bas basketball has done a nice job of really highlighting their superstars, right? So any regular season matchup between superstar players, it, the game really doesn't matter in the long run, right? I mean, it's one of 82, but they really hype the hell out of their stars. Well, it's really interesting that you point that out. Like, like forget LeBron James for a second because he's, you know, he's a – transcendent athlete but a, right. a guy like James Harden like you turn on ESPN this morning and and you just watch it and it, it's James Harden this and James Harden that and like he's like some personality that I'm supposed to care about like if, if I heard James Harden's voice on the other end of a phone line like I wouldn't recognize it right but like right. they talk about these guys like they are almost it's almost like Kardashian like that they're these personalities that I should I should really care about what James Harden's done and his point scoring streak and this and that 
And then, like, you get a guy like Mookie Betts, who's like this, or uh, Mike Trout, like these guys that are doing things in baseball that we've never seen done before and playing at such a high level. I mean, these are two of the, you know, last 30, 40 years, two of the game's best players. But, but you let don't me hear, ask you. You don't hear Boo Peep about them. And one's on the West Coast, one's on the East Coast. Like, it doesn't matter. And the but, Red Sox are probably the game's most marketable team. Still doesn't matter. And what was the. So let me. Let me uh, you're you're going to make a good point for me right now. You make me sound smart. Um, and I thank you for it in advance. <laughs> um, so when you look back in baseball uh, in your lifetime, when was the one time when it was. Right, when regular season baseball was much must see viewing? Uh, There's or Sosa. That's it, yeah. right? That's really it. And so the, the whole thing was the home run race. And you were chasing a record, chasing a, a – so now, look, if somebody was to push DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak, I'm sure it would get the attention that – you know, and everybody would get excited to watch and everybody would be tuning in to see what's going on in, in that at bat. Or if somebody was to push, you know, that that 70 home or 73 – Bond's got the record now, right? 73 home run season. I'm sure that would be something that you have to watch. But again, I'm not certain when you look, when you look at Sosa McGuire – what made that so exciting was it was two guys competing with each other for the same record. Whereas when Bonds was chasing it a few years later, eh, like we didn't care as much, right? It, 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 of course, there was also the we all knew it was of, we all knew it was bullshit under, too. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I know, mean, like being, we kind of had we sort of suspected it was bullshit in '98, but like we we're like, yeah. yeah, you don't know that for sure, you know. Well, it was also it was also the first time really that an assault on Maris's record yeah. was yeah. really being done, right? And and it was just so fun to watch, you know, is you know who was taking the lead one day, then the next, then the next. And I, I guess you know I wasn't around for it, and neither were you, but I, I would assume that this is kind of what the excitement was like when Maris and Man. Mantle were doing it in 61 because Mantle finished with 56 home runs that year. So it was right. probably the same the same kind of thing and they were teammates. And so so that made it all the more like oh my god, who's going to who's going to come ahead? Who's going to anybody going to beat the babe, you know, that kind of thing. So I mean, that was the one time. But other than that, I mean, even in even when baseball was in, like immensely popular when I was growing up and even when it was still pretty popular, you know, when you were growing up, other than that, really was regular season baseball ever must see viewing, especially at night. I, I tell you right now, because of baseball is a little bit longer of a game and a little bit slower paced game, the one thing that I remember that I was always excited for was watching the Saturday afternoon baseball game. That was the national game, whatever that game was that they would put on on Saturday afternoon with Joe Garagiola doing the doing the broadcast. Like that to me was something I was like, oh, I got to watch the baseball games. You watch this week in baseball right beforehand, and then you watch the game. I know we're in a different generation today, right? <laughs> yeah. But 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 at the same time, the reason that one sticks out for me more than any night game that I could potentially have watched back then was because baseball was something that you watched. You know, it was better. I always think baseball's better during the day. I just do. I just think it's a better thing. You experience the sun and the and the outside and everything else, and it's just better during the day. I would I would venture to say that. If somebody had, you know, ESPN does Sunday night baseball, right? In the summer, just throw this out on a whim. Go with Sunday afternoon baseball. Your Sunday game of the week is a Sunday well, afternoon game. I think TBS game. has gotten into that, haven't they? I think a TBS does like a weekly game. Yeah, a little bit. And I think that is something that people will not – it's not going to like – people aren't going to rush to it, right? We're not going to suddenly get, you know, Super Bowl-type ratings here. But I'm saying we're, we're going to – I think people will buy into that a little bit more because it's just – Baseball, baseball, just to me, it's like when I say hockey doesn't work on TV because it's it's left to right. It, it would be better if you were watching the game from above and watching it north to south as opposed to east to west. I think you see more of the game. You see how the team structures work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think fans would be able to follow the game better. I honestly think that baseball has a, a an issue with the fact that they start games at seven thirty, eight o'clock at night, and it's not ending till you know after eleven. And it's like, wow, well, the hell with it, you know. I'm not sticking into the end, right. and you don't see what happens. So, it, it, to me, it has the game doesn't need to change. If that game's on at one, and and you're do, do you think? I mean, let me ask this you will this: be, this if will you, be the minority opinion, though. I mean, I think that you ask most people, they're convinced, even if they don't know how to fix it. It's just that something's got to change. Something's got to okay. give. But let me let me ask you this: the eighteen inning World Series game, Dodgers Red Sox, right? 
I stayed with it. I stayed up till three thirty in the morning because I'm a lunatic baseball fan. Okay, so I watch every I watched every pitch and stayed with it till the end till Max Muncy's home run. Okay, I'm in for the whole thing till three thirty. If that game instead of starting at eight thirty at night starts at and it was on the West Coast, so let's just say it starts at three thirty in the afternoon instead. Okay, and then it, so then it ends at nine o'clock at night, nine thirty at night, as opposed to three thirty in the morning. Are people staying with it till the end? Oh yeah, it becomes a conversation on Twitter. It, it you know yes. people at bars are watching it. it yes, yeah, absolutely, they're into yeah. it, and and maybe more so than they than they have ever been before because of social media. Baseball has not been able to. Yeah, to baseball really... missed an opportunity to to really seize a moment there, you know, and and obviously you don't know that you're going to have well, an 18 inning game. No, but uh, but what know. I'm saying, what I'm saying, what baseball's where what baseball's missing is an opportunity to seize the social media. moments these days it's because of when the games are on there's a reason football puts plays their championship games at the times they do back in the day the afc championship nfc championship games were at one and four but they moved them what did they move them to they didn't move it to eight o'clock at night like sunday night football is or 8 30 at night they moved it to 3 30 and 6 30 because that's when they know people will have their TVs on and the discussion will be taking place. So, you know what? Baseball, put your games, put your biggest games on earlier. It's okay. Well, people if, oh, oh, well, people have to work. Guess what? If you're if you live in LA or Boston and they schedule a World Series game for 3:30 in the afternoon, and you have tickets, you're finding a way to take off yeah, work. especially in Boston. The city's just going to shut down and people are going <laughs> to Right? I mean, they're yeah. going to do it. They're, people are going to go. Well, Anthony, people I'll tell go. you what. This is all I can tell you. Enjoy baseball <laughs> as it currently exists for the next three years because after that, your guess is as good as mine. All I can I tell know. you is that it's going I to know. be a vastly different game with a vastly different financial structure if it returns in 2022, which I'm not entirely certain that it will. So. Hey. I know we want to wrap this up, Bob, but there's one thing I know that we uh, wanted to get to that we didn't. I'm going to throw it to you because you're the you're the expert on this stuff. What are the Phillies' odds to win the World Series right now? Ah, uh, you're catching me off guard. It actually uh, <laughs> the Phillies the Phillies. Uh, I didn't know we were going to do this. Uh, it was it very very uh, eye popping, uh, eye opening. Maybe uh, last week the Phillies were like the second most likely team in the NL behind only the Dodgers to reach the World Series. Uh, currently on FanDuel, though, they've, they've kind of drifted back a little bit. The Brewers and Braves and Cubs and Dodgers are, are, are all each ahead of them now, and they are uh, plus 1,300, so 13-1 to 1, uh, odds to win the World Series this year, which is, I, I guess, about where I would have them. Um, certainly that takes into the account that, that there's a possibility that they will sign Harper or Machado, and if they do sign one of those guys, I would imagine they're going to leapfrog the Brewers, and I imagine they're going to leapfrog the Braves as well. Uh, so they're f- so they're fifth in the National they're League. Fifth in the National League right now. So ahead of ahead of the Nationals. Yeah, they are. Um, wow. I'll tell you where the Nationals come in in a second here. But yeah, so I, I mean, and I don't know what they are at DraftKings right now. But last week when things were really starting to heat up, it was right after they got Real Muto, and I think that there was a sense that that the Harper deal was imminent or it was going to follow. Uh, you know, the line really started to look. Uh, like it favored the Phillies, where you look at the odds and you go, "My goodness, yeah." The Nationals are right behind the Phillies at Fanduel right now; they're fifteen to one. So, uh, and the Cardinals are sixteen to one. So, the Phillies are in the conversation; they're in the mix. But I think until they really go out and sign one of these guys, the odds makers are, are kind of looking at the market and saying, like, maybe we are a little bit too bullish on them after the real Moto deal. And uh, you know, obviously, I think people are saying. If I can get if I can get the Cubs as the third or fourth most likely team, I'll do that. The Brewers should still be a very very good team, so I th- I think you're starting to see some value on them as well. Yeah, I I kind of think that the Brewers are going to take a step back. What you you don't I, like the Mike Mustakis resigning? I thought that uh, he was coming here to play third base and replace Mike Alfranco, but that did not. Yeah, happen. yeah, I I kind of like you know that division is interesting to me. I I'll tell you, I honestly think that the Cardinals are going to be. Right back in the thick of it, and maybe even surprise everybody and win the division. I this think like year. people have just sort of forgotten about Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> like like guys, one of those of things that like did happen, like that yeah. that happened <laughs> yes. like in a timely fashion. It's almost yes. like we just pretend that that didn't occur now. But yeah, I think the Cardinals are going to be very good. Um, you know, obviously the Cubs had a little bit of a down year a season ago, but there's still a lot of talent there. Um, and you know. 
We'll see. You know, we'll see what yeah, the, I mean, we'll see yeah, what the even, Brewers even, doing. Even, even, even the Reds, P- even the Reds, the Reds, <laughs> Reds are going to be a little yeah, better. Pittsburgh's little better. not not terrible. I mean, the, I think that's a really good division. Boy, when you look at that Cardinals Cardinals lineup, I mean, the, the first four guys in that lineup, you know, Carpenter, probably DeJong is going to hit two, Goldschmidt, Ozuna. That's a good top of the lineup. Um, well, one of the things that's interesting about baseball this season, specifically in the National League, because I still think that the AL, it's going to come down to the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Astros, right? Like, you know, those three teams, I just can't see a scenario in which one of those three teams doesn't, doesn't do it. Um, but in the National League, I mean, it is wide open. The, the yeah. NL West is the Dodgers' division to lose, and, and that's really kind of been the case in recent years. Oh, but, yeah, unless, unless the Padres land both Machado and Harper. Yeah, which if you, we'll see if John Heyman fires off that tweet in the next 20 minutes. But <laughs> the NL East is wide open. We've discussed that a little bit. And then, like we said, the, the NL Central is, is a crapshoot as well. So in baseball in the, in the National League, I think that there's at least eight, nine teams that have to feel like they have a chance yes, to make a little exciting. noise in the postseason. So it should be yeah. really exciting. Yeah, another move that another move that the Cardinals made that kind of flew under the radar this year is they signed Andrew Miller. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I they, the, they're going to be the a Phillies, very good team. <laughs> the Phillies were trying to get him, and and then the, the Cardinals snaked them to him. I guess gave him an extra year. So, um, so, so listen here. Uh, this is this is where I'm at. I'm actually heading to Clearwater on Thursday morning. My flight nice. leaves at six thirty in the morning, and I'll be down there uh, for the duration of the weekend. I'm going to go check out a game, uh, the first game of the spring. Nice. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, with that said, if the Phillies do sign one of these guys in the next two days, up until Wednesday, uh, we will be back and we will do another sure. episode. Uh, but I am actually going to pack the laptop and the microphone and set up for an emergency podcast should they if do necessary. it while I'm in Clearwater, if necessary. Uh, yes. Because I, I just... I feel married to this thing. You know, in most cases, I'd say if the Phillies are going to make a trade or they're going to sign somebody, oh, well, just can't do it. I'm in clear order. I'm doing my thing down here. But I just, I want to be ready oh, if it you happens. Have to. So we will have this thing covered yeah. in the event that something does go down. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Um, all right. Well, the, I think that's it for us, Bob. Uh, it was a, a nice, I, I didn't think we were going to get an hour out of this, and we did. We got a good hour of uh, baseball conversation. We have a way of doing that. We do. Uh, make, be sure you check out the uh, other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcasting Network. Um, Snow the Goalie, if you're a Flyers fan, me and Russ, uh, we just dropped a new episode with a 40 minute conversation with Coach Scott Gordon, which was pretty awesome. No big deal. Uh, yeah, yeah, no big Yeah, no big <laughs> They're, they're becoming no big deal to us anymore. It's like, we just get whatever we want anymore. Um, and then uh, Crossing Broadcast lately has been Russ and Kevin Kincaid um, uh, updating on the uh, the latest happenings in Philadelphia sports or nationally as well. And then there are two soccer podcasts. It's always soccer in Philadelphia um, with uh, Kevin Kincaid and varying array of uh, co-hosts. And uh, Crossing Broad FC, which needs to get back. They haven't done their, you know, Phil Kaidel and, and Russ, they've been kind of uh, uh, missing each other a little bit. But uh, they've been talking about getting back and getting a new episode up of that as well. So be sure to listen to those when you get a chance. That's it for me. Oh, oh, I thought maybe you had something else. No, <laughs> that's, that's, that's it for me. <laughs> that's it for yeah. Bob. Yeah, so I guess I'll wrap it up. Usually yeah. Bob opened the show. So oh, yeah, yeah, even, yeah, yeah. No, yeah no. You should be the one who closes the show. So, But all right, no problem. I'll close the show. Um, so for Bob Wankel, who you can find on, on Twitter at uh, uh, BW Crossing Broad, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo at Ant San Philly on Twitter, uh, and we will see you guys uh, as soon as the Phillies sign one of these guys. Uh, just keep following John Heyman for, for the updates. See ya.